You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. The following production is part of the We Be Geeks Podcast Collective. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey there, listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. This week, we are going back to the golden age and talking about the very first superhero team. Not And some, a lot of people think it's like the Fantastic Four or the Justice League. No, before there were those characters... DC Comics actually had a, a group called the Justice Society of America, and they are celebrating their 80th anniversary. And it's going to be a lot of fun to talk about. This is my wheelhouse. This is my heroes. These are the characters that I – I don't want to say grew up with. I'm not that old. <laughs> but I fell in love with them instantly, and it was – a. it's – been fun following them over the years different iterations of them and even in today's comics how they're still represented and with the legacy characters and such it should be a lot of fun to talk about and you know when i think of a legacy character this man stands out to me i have to think of mr mike gordon howdy how are you sir the jsa is a-okay oh yeah it should be a lot of fun and you know I'm going to be very curious to see, like, when people discovered them, how how they did and everything, and, you know, did they follow them and such. It should be very interesting. We've got some experts on to well, talk about. We've got some very cool people to talk all about it, so it's going to be very we're – gonna, we're going to do the, the society justice. <laughs> oh, you really went there. You really, <laughs> really – my went. own pun. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one laughing at that one, so it's okay. <laughs> You know, but then again, I feel that way when I laugh at my own well, jokes. Somebody has yeah, to. exactly. So it's cool. I'm really glad to be here with you tonight, sir. And we're very good to have you folks at home with us too. Please write us a feedback at earthstation1.com. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. How's 2021 going for you guys? Is it the longest year so far, or are you guys, you know, starting to enjoy the year? Hopefully, the latter. But you know, we'll have to wait and see. Of course, you know. You could also tell your friends about us, tell your neighbors, tell anyone you see on the street, hey, listen to Earth Station One. You can find Earth Station One up on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts, you know, Amazon, Google, you know, wherever fine podcasts are found, even Earth Station One is there. So please listen, subscribe, give us five stars. We would really love it. Also, a big shout-out to our patrons. We actually got a couple new patrons up on our Patreon. So want to say thank you, thank you for helping to donate to the ESO Network. And, of course, Earth Station One is a proud member of the ESO Network. want to, of course, give you know a shout-out to our two newest patrons. That's right, folks. We got two new patrons. Can you believe it? We have Tyra Burton is one of our new patrons and Jerry Chandler. Always great to have Jerry part of the group. Jerry's been a great supporter of ESO for years. So thank you, thank you for both of you guys, and thank you for supporting ESO. You could do it, too, for as little as a dollar a month. You could support the ESO Network at patreon.com slash ESO Network. 
Also, big shout out to our friends over at Tifosi Optics. That's right, Tifosi Optics is here with the coolest sunglasses you could find for really good prices, too, folks. You can get a custom made pair of sunglasses for as little as 30 bucks. And you know what? Tifosi is the place to be. Get custom colors, custom lens colors. You can even now also, not on top of sunglasses, you could also get the blue light glasses where it helps protect your eyes from the monitors and from your computers, from your phones. Because, you know, you're sitting in front of your computer now more than ever, working from home or watching TV, playing games. You know, the blue light glasses, or they sometimes are called gamer glasses, they help protect your eyes from the light. It's pretty awesome with that. So definitely check it out. You know, all you have to do is go to fozyoptics.com, put in the cut code EarthStation1, and you can get 10% off. That's the new code for 2021 is EarthStation1. Tofozyoptics.com, your place for sunglasses. And now we're here with new friend, Zach Maurice. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on. Zach is actually brought to you by our fine friends over at NSC. They're doing the NSC Roadshow, and he is participating in it. Welcome aboard. Welcome to the station, sir. Um, for those people who may not be familiar with you and your artwork, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. So um, I just got out of the Joe Kubert School uh, last year, May 22nd. Uh, it was a three-year school program. And uh, I'm a freelance artist. Um, while I was in the school during my second year, I self-published a graphic novel uh, anthology book with 23 other Cuban school students um, with that same character that's on the Kickstarter right now. And when I got out of the school, I just been doing a bunch of commissions for people, just trying to like um, see what it's like uh, in the freelance world. And I've been loving it since. And uh, I did it. Uh, what do you call it? Inktober. I did some drawings over Inktober and it, those pages just turned into this Kickstarter project that's up right now. So that's currently what the project I'm doing is. And uh, hopefully after this Kickstarter, there'll be tons more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited. Um, when, uh, how difficult, I want to know a little bit more about the Cubit School because I've, you know, I've heard reference to it, but I don't know if I actually ever, ever talked to anybody who's actually gone there. Um, is it, first of all, is it hard to get in and what's the experience like there? So during my time, um, it's under new maintenance. Uh, there's a new owner, Anthony Marquez. He used to be the, uh, editor over at Dynamite Comics. Um, and he, uh, Adam Kieber and Andy, I was out, I, I entered the school during Adam and Andy's time. And then I was also there um, when Anthony Marquez stepped in as a new owner. It's easy to get into the school. It's hard to stay in. So, <laughs> you know, I started. Is it, is, it, is it really tough? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So I think that can be said to any community college or any colleges or trade schools out there is it can be tough for the people that really, really want to go ahead and improve upon themselves and walk out the door um, with uh, hopes to get jobs and whatnot, uh, seeing that improvement on their work. So you can go ahead and, you know, skimp your way out. Um, but are you re did you really get the most out of the school? You know, how much you put down being there? I see. I see. You know? So being in the school, it was just super tough. I pulled 
all-nighters like there's no tomorrow like for, i remember first year during october i think that was the worst month worst month for me man i was pulling all, like three to four all-nighters in the same week just to get my homework done um and then it just started you know i was pulling more all-nighters but it wasn't as much as first year you kind of get more into the swing of things and then it's like boot camp you know just boot camp for artists you just all you're doing is drawing you know, you're just, if you want to talk to your family, just put them on your headphones and just draw, like, on your table, just doing the homework and whatnot. And sometimes, you know, you don't even have to do that because, you know, the th- most of the time um, when you're doing your narrative pages, you really need to think, um, have that time to yourself and just not talk to anybody and just figure about your roughs, your storytelling and such. So the Cuba School is a great place for people who really want to go ahead and improve. Mm-hmm. And it's really tough to stay in with that mindset you know right right i would imagine it's one of those things where it it separates the men from the boys so to speak right Mm -hmm. like if you really want to do this then you're gonna like yeah this the school is really gonna make it so that make it clear to you that this is a job this is work right yeah it's not just like a hobby right no it's not um that's another thing too is that the minute you go in uh, even the instructors tell you, all right, now that you're here, do you now need to make a separation? Are you going to be leaving this school as a fanboy or girl, or are you going to leaving? Uh, you're going to leave here uh, with that freelance mindset because it's a business. You're your own business once you walk out that door. Mm-hmm. And if you go ahead and you leave that door still being a fanboy or girl, you know the quality. Um, you may not be as serious uh, on the products that you're making. Um, some of the projects that you'd be making could be parodies, you know, if you're still that fanboy or girl mindset, like, you know, just like piggybacking ideas off of already that's been done and stuff, you know, it's, it's really tough. So, and it's also the income, you know, cause before I went to the school um, and before anybody else out there that's wanted to go ahead and buckle down and be serious, we were wasting our money going to the comic store all the time. I still do. The only difference is I write it off of my taxes. <laughs> so, That's not a bad so, way to be. That's not a bad no, way to be at all. So the Kubert School teaches you uh, not just um, art techniques and narrative techniques, sequential storytelling techniques, but also does it does it talk about business and finance and and how to how to how to do that part of it too? So um, the first year is really just the foundations of art. You know, they don't delve into business at all. And then when you get into second year, that's when they delve into business a little bit now. That's when you start to get more and more traction on that subject. And then third year, it's, you know, it's now you really got to think about that business, that advertisement and whatnot. So it it just uh, boils down to projects like, you know, it starts off simple, like, all right, create your business card and then do an advertising piece, create your mock-up website, um, and then it explains, I remember it wasn't a homework piece, but I remember sitting in class and my instructors would just talk about Kickstarter for a little bit. Ah, uh, yeah. And so I've heard about Kickstarters the minute I walked into school and I did a little research. It's just, um, there was a couple things that they did miss out on that I wish they did tell me. And I think uh, <laughs> uh, one of it was like the taxes of uh, uh kickstarter it's just a little fine tooth and nail stuff and i don't think that was really important at that time because it wasn't really part of the curriculum it was just something that was added on that we asked about 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, um, thank you for all that information. Cause like I said, I don't know if I've actually sought, uh, I haven't actually sat down and talked to anybody who's actually been there. Um, so, uh, I've known several people who I think who did go there, but, uh, we've never really talked about it. Um, so, but prior to that, prior to going to the Kubert school, obviously comic books, sequential so- storytelling art was, uh, must've been forefront on your mind. Where did that come from? So uh, storytelling in general? Um, storytelling general and comics in general, yeah. So I didn't start taking it serious until uh, I was 18 years old, um, which is, like, funny because, like, once you turn 18, you're now officially adult. But um, <laughs> my own personal life, it was just uh, things got really hectic, and I wanted uh, I had kind of like a chance where I want to turn this around and start doing things to, like, get my life back on track. And I was like, you know what? I'm sick of just talking about it. I'm just going to go ahead and start buckling down. So I started taking art more serious. And then, uh, what is it? My mother started noticing that. And then, you know, one thing led to another. It got me into the Joe Cuba school. Uh, Storytelling is very important for me because during school and now out of school, um, people love love collecting and you can go ahead and make pretty pictures all you want, but everybody out there that if you want to go ahead and go into the comic field, you have to know what you're doing with storytelling. You got to tell a story, you know, you got to like perfect drawing on all counts, like cars, backgrounds, you know, perspective, like shape, all those kind of things. And I still struggle with it, you know, and, but it's extremely important because, you can do commissions all the time. Hell, anybody can do commissions, but can you draw a comic? Those, um, because if you can draw a comic and somebody hires you to do a book, that means they're probably going to hire you for another project. They're going to keep you in mind for another one. So those are always going to be returnable clients. Um, so that's how serious I take uh, storytelling because that's uh, I want to start shifting from working on comics on the side and a daytime job to full-time. So it's just that balance to get me there. Who are uh, who are some of your artistic influences? Tom McFarlane was uh, always number one. Sure. Um, I even remember when I was a young kid, like just looking at his stuff, and his stuff was really. I, I was like into the old comics. I didn't go to the current comics. That was around when I was like in fifth grade. I was going straight to the nineteen sixties, seventies, all that stuff, and. I can notice a change. Uh, my bad. I notice a change from Todd's work compared to all like Al Milgram to uh, Alex Saviak, Sal Buscema, John Buscema, like, and I loved the the detail and uh, whatnot. So I started to draw and try to emulate that, and then I just kept practicing, and it just seemed that the style or the way that I draw now is love rendering. So the problem that I struggle with is actually having to pull back on that, you know, because it mm-hmm. needs clarification. You've got to have people uh, be able to clarify what that panel is just by looking at it within two seconds. Because if they're staring at that panel for like more than that, trying to figure out, then you kind of like you failed your job as an artist to get that panel, you know, finished. Uh, tell us about uh, the new project you're working on now, Voyage. So... Voyage the Call is a horror sci-fi mini-comic where you focus on an intergalactic space explorer traveler, uh, Sonderon. And it's a one-shot comic uh, that's focused in the middle of his adventures. It's just like 
off to the side. And he's kind of getting, you know, he's being driven insane. And it's getting uh, so bad to the point where he can't sleep for weeks and whatnot. And he doesn't know what to do. And this call of sorts that's been haunting him, like in nightmare, like nightmares that he's getting and such, he decides to succumb to that. And um, it leads him on this journey, on this like little to, to figure out how to like take care of that. And near the end of the book, you know, he starts uh, being raveled into this Lovecraft uh, horror where you start to see like these little squid-like things coming out of nowhere and attacking him. And there's just like this <laughs> big bang in the end of the book where he's got to fight like his other self in, in a way. And I don't want to give too much, but it's, it's pretty cool. Um, my co-creator and writer... Uh, for the script, uh, Brett Malagrano, who's also a Cuba School graduate, uh, he wrote the script and sent it to me. And I was like, man, this is really, really good. I don't want to give too uh, too much away because mm-hmm. it's really cool how the uh, ending battle is. So that's what this book is. How it came to mind was last year during Inktober, I thought, you know what? I want to go ahead and do a page a day. And then I started doing that. And then I, that's when I asked Brett to write a script for me. So I can go ahead and do a page a day for Inktober. Um, as I was doing it, I just felt that the script was just too good. Uh, and other people need to read this instead of just seeing the pages on Instagram. So I went ahead and I uh, did a lot of research and I just buckled down really, really fast and started writing out the Kickstarter and, you know, uh, designing out how it's going to look and whatnot. Sonderon, uh, the character in the book, is also the character that was in the anthology comic that I made with all the other Cuban school students uh, during my second year. I've had this character for a long time, uh, even before the school. So it was just kind of finally getting that idea out, you know, because uh, I feel like right now with the uh, skill set that I have at the moment that I can be able to use and make a book, another one. I, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Kickstarter now with some of the preview pages. The art is, it, man, especially that cover image is fantastic. It, the main character looks compelling. And uh, the interior pages uh, look very high. End. There's a lot of energy in those pages, man. Uh, it looks really good. Now, uh, for those people listening, um, if you want to get it, you know, jump in on this Kickstarter, um, unfortunately, the timing thing, um, you you'll have to jump right away. Like uh, I think um, uh, there's as we're recording this, there's less than a week to go. So check it out, and I'm sure it's going to be available afterwards as well. But if you want to get in on the ground floor of this thing with the Kickstarter, uh, jump on it as soon as you can, um, and we'll have a link to it on our show notes so that people can check it out as well. But uh, Mike, I, I think I think he's ready for the the grilling. As we like to Ooh. say, <laughs> I didn't know we were doing a barbecue tonight, Mike. Oh. Gosh! <laughs> Anytime someone sits in the geek seat, it it kind of smells like barbecue. All right, Zach, are you ready for your first question, geek seat? Go right on ahead. Are you sure? This guy's too confident. I like it. He just you got know? out of school. He doesn't know any better. I know. Oh, he, life life has not started, you know, pushing down on him yet. He hasn't had anything f- to fight back with. All right. <laughs> Zach, what was your favorite geek out moment? Oh, man. You could, my, my one of recent was when uh, Luke Skywalker uh, got shown on the second season of The Mandalorian. That was just – I geeked out like uh, even – 
you know, surprisingly, I geeked out more when Boba Fett was shown on the screen in episode one of season two, more than I did <laughs> on Luke Skywalker, because I knew that they were going to use Boba Fett. I was just ready to go on that one. Um, but I think I got to say it was the first time I picked up my first comic book in fifth grade. That was oh. my extreme geek out, uh, geek out moment because everything that I've done so far and I've gotten into is because of that moment. So I got to say it's, it's that one book. It was a uh, web of Spider-Man number 66 by Alex Saviak. And I remember it was like that comic, there was a comic store on the side. Uh, there was all these superhero paintings that was painted on this building. And it was on the side of a highway on Drake Massachusetts. And my dad, he never really took me to any places at all. He rarely did. And we were going to a hospital appointment for my dad's ex-girlfriend. And I was like, I saw it as we were driving by. And as, you know, as a kid, I was like, dad, can we go? Please, please. Like, it's like, oh, maybe if you behave in the hospital, like maybe I'll even think about it. I don't know. Like, so when I was in the hospital, I like, I had my hands on my butt sitting on it. Just, I didn't say peep. My brother and sister just making a fool of themselves and whatnot. And I just made, I was quiet as possible. So on the way back, my heart was beaten. And then he pulled in the driveway. Like I got out of that car so fast. And I went in the store. I see action figures on the ceiling and comics all around. It was just something that I've, man, it took my breath away. And I wish I could buy the whole store at that moment. <laughs> but um, I remember begging for four bucks from my, like, please, please, please. Can you buy it, please? So you bought that book. And when, when we got home, he, I, I read it. I read that thing probably like 10 times uh, back to back. And then it just sparked. I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be a comic book artist. So that was my geek out moment. Oh, dude, that's awesome. That's a great one. That Actually, it's one of the best ones I've heard, truthfully, because most of us have been there. And, you know, I like that. That's awesome. What was your most disappointing geek out moment? Oh, man. Um... Okay, so in um, Boston Comic-Con 2016, uh, this was right before I went to the Joe Cuper School in 2017. Uh, I went in September 2017. Um, Boston Con 2016 in August, um, I went with these amateur books. Um, and I, I was just drawing a lot. I had like uh, four comics I, I drew at that time, and I was just like selling them. Like I did pretty okay. And I was proud of the books, um, but I was like, I wanted critiques and stuff. And uh, I remember passing some of those books around, and most of the uh, freelance artists that were really, really good, they just didn't want to bother. Um, and it was kind of disappointing, and I started uh, – I wasn't mad at them. Uh, I was mad at myself because I think in a way I applaud myself for going to Boston Con as an artist and getting those like – really bad books out but I'm also in a way I could have taken my time a little bit more um, I could have studied a little bit more maybe it could have held off I don't know but the books were pretty bad and I knew that and uh, their response by not saying anything not you know critiquing it was more information to me to be like yeah you gotta buckle down more so that was my bad geek out moment but it did provide a rush like being at the convention, it was like, it's kind of like a drug rush in a way. Once you have it, you need more. 
um, you got to just, you know, like once I was on that floor and behind the table and seeing people just coming up to your table, just like, wow, or did you draw that? Or they're just talking to you about saying it's like, it's a whole nother experience than just drawing and completing a picture. And I wanted more of that. I demanded more of that. So when I went to the Cuban school, uh, I, and I made that book, I went to New York Con at the Cuban school booth and people were buying copies. I was actually getting responses now from like uh, Jason Strawn Alexander uh, with my roommate. Um, I got um, Daniel Warren Johnson said he liked the book uh, to keep going at it. And what is it? I even saw Tom McFarlane um, at the show and he's like, just keep going at it. Like, you know, keep doing it, keep doing it. And talking to all these artists, uh, same thing. Uh, Ian St. Uh, Ian uh, Nichols, who's at Fat Cat Funnies. Um, he, they all said the same thing and they, they gave me critiques and I took that to heart. Uh, I didn't care if it was bad or good. You know, the fact they were giving me the critiques, awesome. that just meant I, a lot. I miss so conventions. That was, I that miss conventions so much. <laughs> what geeks you out the most, man? Um, man. I told you these were good questions, dude. You could, um, Star Wars... Uh, the power of the force action figure line. When I see that, uh, not only is it affordable, um, I had I had a lot of those growing up as a kid, and um, you know my father broke a lot of things on me uh, with uh, from three days of having it. So there was a lot of things that I missed out on, but buying them again, you know, like just on the side every now and then, if I like you know got a little extra money, I'll throw like eight bucks to get like a figure from that and just like paste it on my wall. Um, the, that geeks me out the most. It's like uh, being reattached to things that I grew up with. Um, and then what else? Uh, uh, believe it or not, creating my own story. Um, because uh, let me tell you why. Uh, Cause I, I feel like I, I believe I have the solid idea. And uh, I'm going to ask you, when you go ahead and you watch the movie Predator or Alien, right? You see those movies. Don't you want to watch that movie through the perspective of the Predator or the Alien itself? Like, why does it have to be through the human, you know? Like, they have their own culture. You know, they have their own battles on their own planets. Same um, same thing with Avatar, you know? Like, in, in a way, a big part of me is like, why do we need to go ahead and see the humans? Uh, we just want to see the Navi people, you know? And... And a lot of sci-fi movies and uh, shows, it's like you're always getting that perspective told through humans. And uh, we've seen plenty of that. You know, there's a whole universe out there. And I think that you, they're touching base on that, but they're not really hitting the nail on the head, I believe. So this character, Sonderon, uh, you know, he's an actual legitimate extraterrestrial. And all the things that you connect with as a human – uh, through everyday human struggles, you can experience the same things through him. So I, I just have like these big uh, dreams and um, ideas of seeing this as an action figure line or a TV show on Netflix or Hulu or wherever. And this is a solid idea that I just take, uh, I geek out a lot on, you know, and I even call up Brett. And we just, we shoot ideas and, you know, that was what I was perfecting on when I was in the Cuber school too. I'll tell you right now, people who go to the Joe Cuber school, that's a perfect opportunity for people to go ahead and really sit down and 
perfect any idea that you have because you have instructors that will go ahead and help you out, you know, and they'll give you improvements and things to work on, you know? So sure. though, that's the time to uh, utilize and, you know, just keep working on that story. Of course. What turns your geek off? My geek off? Yeah. Like, it's just like, no, I, I look away from it. I'm like, no, don't want anything to do. No, like some people have said fandom, like toxic fandom and stuff, or some people have said, you know, Star Wars on ice, you know, type thing, you know. I really, um, being in the school, I've started to grow in a lot of appreciation for people that are just trying to get into the field and they make their own product and whatnot. Um, my geek off would be, like you said, it would be toxic fandom. People that are just very close minded. They don't want to go ahead and uh, broaden their horizon and giving new, uh, new projects a chance to go ahead and look at, um, you know, because this right now more than ever is the perfect time for indie creative projects to go ahead and be launched on any platform um, you can print them and everyone's asked. It's a demand now, you know, everybody's willing to accept that and it's great, but it would be toxic fandom. Um, also to like, um, remakes of movies and TV shows. Cause it's not necessary. I like, you got new stories to tell, like, so use that, you know, bring in new talent and tell those new stories instead of just sitting back on the old, ideas like for example like uh, amazing spider-man they always touch base on the clone saga and that's just like a a thing and there's no need to you can create something new um or like just t- keep... there's tons of rehash and stuff like that tons of it and that's just a a geek off for me the only reason why i collect amazing spider-man now is just because it was the first title that i had for you know when i was collecting so it's like that it's no, uh, totally. it's like oh, I gotta have it, so it doesn't matter what else, and that's just pretty much it. What else they're doing to the character and stuff like that—that totally yeah. makes sense. What fictional character would you like to meet the most? Huh. All right, that's a good question. Uh man, I gotta think about that for a second. <laughs> It's okay. Wow. <laughs> um, As he's looking up, who do I want to meet? Who do I want to meet? <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I'm really stuck in between. Um, like, it's a it's a cop out, but like Spider Man, I would love to meet that character. Um, mm-hmm. Sure. Or I've always wanted to meet Spider Man. Or um, uh, Zen Intergalactic Ninja. It was it was a character created by um, Steve Stearns and Dan Cody, and it was like um, that was the first character. It, it had immediate success when it came out in the '90s. I think it was like late '80s, uh, early early '90s, um, and it was just a main character that was an alien, and um, it just blew up. Like Sam Keith did a couple covers for them. They had a, a video game on Game Boy Advance at the time, like. And I like that, like, you know, characters from the unknown. So, like, those are characters that I'd like to meet. Sure. What uh, fictional character would you not like to meet? <laughs> Spawn. 
Spawn. Okay. Spawn. I could understand that. Because <laughs> you know, you know, something bad's going to happen when that's at, when he pops up. Yeah, and not to mention, he's just not one of those people that wants to deal with, like, <laughs> talk to anybody, you know. No, he <laughs> basically wouldn't be like some I guy. Don't think you know, oh, good. I just love you. I'm biggest fan. Wow. You know, <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, you're going to go <laughs> back. He smells like brimstone, uh, the... right? No. Oh, no. no. <laughs> you know, t- you know, it's funny how many times in the comics. They... Oh, worse than that. How many. <laughs> That, no, that, it's funny. That would be too easy. No, it's funny because like all the characters, you know, because I, I love Spawn. I, I really love the character, and every time they go in the alleyway and they're like they're like right up to Al Simmons, they're kind of like, man, yeah. you smell yeah. Jesus, like, yeah, nope. <laughs> yeah they, it, he does smell. He reeks. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. What is your favorite geek word, phrase, quote, or pose? My favorite quote was uh, Jack Kirby, um, don't do comics, kid. Comics will make you cry. Uh, That was my favorite quote. Um, uh, And my favorite comic pose would have to be, um, it's got to be Spawn on the, um, it was a Tom McFarlane cover and he's just like, he's he's like standing on one end and his cape is flowing. Mm. And if you silhouetted that, you can automatically know who the character is. Oh, sure. Just by, yeah, just by the cape alone. That was my favorite pose. Just the, the waving cape and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the big, you know, neck collar and everything. It's pretty yeah. awesome. That is awesome. What is your ideal geek occupation? <laughs> uh, let's see. I think you're doing it, man. When I'm not draw when I'm not drawing, it's collecting uh, every now and then, you know. Okay. I, I, I still love collecting, but you know, drawing, man. Uh, if I once I get past the procrastination, um, <laughs> I uh, take a lot of fun, like doing it, you know. Like uh, once I finish the page, and I'm like, man, this is really cool. Yeah, it could you know it could be fixed a little bit, or I could have watched that for here and there, but as a whole piece, like. I love looking at uh, the pictures once it's finished. It's hard to once you draw more and more. Um, you can obviously when, you're obviously going to improve just because you're drawing alone. But I used to hate my artwork. Like every time I finished a piece, for the majority of the time, like I'm like, all right, it's done. Hate it. Move on. Draw it. Done. Hate it. Move on. And uh, procrastination is a hard thing to like beat. But no, I, I take uh, uh, I have a lot of happiness. Um, and geeking out on drawing because I get a lot of ideas and I just kind of write it down on the side. Not to mention like when I dream and I get an idea, I'll, I'll wake up and I'll write it down. So I don't forget. Excellent. That's a good idea. That's no, always a good idea. That's awesome. It's yep. a great thing to do. What geek occupation would you not want to do though? Cosplay. Ooh, <laughs> really? Want, yeah. I don't want, I respect. I didn't expect that. It. I didn't expect that one. <laughs> Um, I respect people doing it. You know, it's definitely a very expensive um, occupation to get into because uh, you got to make the costume, and it is an art of its own. But um, I really don't want to fit my body in a tight suit and walk around half naked or fully clothed in a character that I loved reading. Um, like on a shelf floor in a hot room, like on a summer, you know, like 
there's complications that I just do not want to deal with. That's why I respect people doing it because that's a whole other like ballpark that they have to deal with the problems and things they have to watch out for. I mean, what if your custom breaks? You spend like six hours on that, just fixing that piece or whatever. And it breaks because you walked and it hit somebody by accident. You're like, and that would anger me. Like, like I wouldn't have the patience for it. No, totally understand that, man. All right, Zach, are you ready for your final question in the geek seat? Yeah. All right. This is for all the marbles. So this is going to make or break you. We've had grown people cry to this question. <laughs> so, so just be right. careful with this one. Zach, what is your ultimate geek fantasy? <laughs> That's a good one. I can see why people will cry. <laughs> um, my ultimate geek fantasy. Um, I have two actually. Uh, when I have a kid one day down the road, uh, not anytime soon, I would love to have my kid be named my character, uh, Sonderon. Um, as a middle name, you know, cause you know, okay. going to be, you know, the, you know, the, like my other partner, partner would say, no, not happening as a first name, but a middle name. Yeah. Like I would love to have that as a middle name. Cause that's a, that's a lot of like pride, you know, you know mm-hmm. cause you, oh, sure. there's a lot of connection with uh, me and a character and it's that same connection, you know, Hopefully, I know it's going to be a different connection when you have a kid and when you're like, I don't know what you're feeling at that point, but it's more excitement if they also had a, that name that you took pride in so many years creating and uh, from like scratch and you, it's part of your children. That'd be cool. That's like one fantasy. Uh, my second one is being uh, my character. Uh, I love to go ahead and be my character, knowing full well all the things he's got to struggle with and whatnot. Um, I actually do like, you know, I, I personally, I'm, I'm a believer in aliens. We're not the only one out there and whatnot. So I would really love to go ahead and travel the universe, like the cosmos and whatnot and meet other life forms. Yeah. That's pretty awesome, dude. Well, I've got some very good news for you, Zach. Yep. (laughs) Congratulations, sir. You've made it through the geek seat. Huzzah! Huzzah! (laughs) Mr. Mike Gordon, tell the young man what he's won. Zachary, you have won a lifetime subscription to the ESO Network, a value easily worth (laughs) $1.75. Thank you. (laughs) We took a bit of a turn. Uh, But, uh, no, it's been great having you on the show. Uh, Good luck with the Kickstarter and all your projects. For those people listening who want to check out your Kickstarter and what else you're doing online, because, like I said, the Kickstarter might be over with by the time a lot of people hear this. So where can they find you online to check out your artwork and what you're doing? So you can check me out on Zachary's Art on Instagram. Um, Zachary's Art is also on Twitter. So the name is still the same. Nothing's changed. You can also check me out on Dwarf Star Comics on Facebook and uh, Zach Maroyce on LinkedIn. Excellent, excellent. We will have links to all those in our show notes, so encourage people to check it out. Thank you so much, sir. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on the show. Remember, folks, Zach was brought to you by our friends over at the NSC Road Tour. The Earth Station One podcast is a proud member of that tour. So check them out at NSC Live. It's definitely worth checking out, folks. Let's take a quick break, and we will be talking all about the Justice Society of America.
Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. Normally for this blurb, I focus on upcoming movie or TV content, but I'm going to divert from that just slightly today to talk about a new Star Wars publishing initiative. Right now, this is focused mainly on books, comics, and other print material, but I have a feeling if this new product launch goes well, we could see some of these characters timelines and settings that are being introduced in future live-action TV shows or maybe even Star Wars movies. This new series is called Star Wars The High Republic, and the first book is Light of the Jedi by Charles Soule. And this takes place long before the Star Wars prequels and what's looked on as a golden era for the Republic. The Jedi are super powerful. They're out there in the galaxy keeping people safe. They're well-respected, well-liked. Everything just seems wonderful. Now, that would be pretty boring for a story because no one just wants to read about things going smoothly, nothing really happening. At the beginning of Light of the Jedi, there's this horrible catastrophe called the Great Disaster that begins to challenge the Jedi and the Republic. And I think we're going to start to see some of the cracks in the Jedi that lead to the complete collapse of the Order that we see in the prequels timeline. I've just finished reading Light of the Jedi and it's excellent. I'm super excited for this new era of storytelling, again because... Star Wars movies are my favorite movies, and I would really love to see some of these High Republic characters show up in live action. So if the book series and comics do well, we'll probably get to see these characters more. And I think it's especially a treat because we're in a time where not a lot of new movies and stuff is coming out due to the pandemic. We'll have to wait till next fall till we see more Star Wars live action TV content on Disney Plus with COVID delays. Who knows when we'll get to next see a Star Wars movie in theaters. So if you pick up the book Light of the Jedi, it's going to be a really epic cinematic experience and it's just as cool as going to a Star Wars movie. So I highly recommend that. If you're looking for more entertainment-related content, be sure to check out my blog over on the ESO Podcast website. Speaking of Star Wars, I recently completed a long-time geek goal of mine and watched all the Star Wars movies in a row in chronological order, and I wrote more about my experience over on the ESO website. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon of Rassilon. A podcast where we watch every episode of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. It's like an idiot's guide to Doctor Who. And where are the idiots? The Watchathon of Rassilon, a Doctor Who podcast made by idiots. And a proud member of the ESO Network. <laughs> Welcome back, and now we want to say hey to our new sponsor, NSC Live TV. That's right. NSCLiveTV.com is the comic book network created for geeks by geeks. They're a premier network for all your comic book industry-related news features, live sales, comic shop creator podcasts, cosplay, news, interviews. That's right. That's NSCLiveTV.com. And now it is time, that's right, talking about comics and such, to dive into the anniversary of the Justice Society. Gosh, they're almost, you know, coming up onto a century. This is pretty amazing, guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
JSA has been around a long time. And uh, yeah, so we've got a lot to cover. We've got two, two great enthusiasts to help us do that. We've got with us from straight from Chicken Town, Kevin Eldridge is back on the show. Oh, you try and keep me away from a uh, conversation about the Justice Society of America. <laughs> I think Mike had not even finished sending me the message before somehow I was already responding and agreeing, yes, I'll be here. Absolutely, absolutely. And another one who, you know, this is, he's straight from the Fortress of bailey Tude, and that is Michael Bailey. <laughs> Suddenly, uh, I feel like Kevin is uh, Matt Dillon in The Outsiders. You ain't going to have a rumble without a rumble without me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no blades tonight, though, for this podcast. I got the words. Uh, I, Diane Lane assures me there shall be no blades tonight for this podcast. <laughs> I know that uh, you know you buy you both both have a love for DC Comics and these characters in particular, and uh, I mean, like I said, there's a lot to cover. Um, obviously, just going through the basics, uh, as Mike said, uh, this was the first superhero team to make their debut in comics, uh, published by DC Comics. Uh, they made their debut in All Star Comics number three which uh, is about November, right? November 1940, just says winter. So around, uh, we'll say, uh, uh, you know. Well, that's why we're doing it here in January. So it's it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, The the Justice Society, uh, the first members, Dr. Fate, Our Man, Spectre, Sandman, Adam, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and I guess you could say Johnny Thunder a little bit, right? I mean, <laughs> do we have to? I yeah. mean, he's got like he's say you. In the book. Come on, actually, he appears more in the book than a lot of the other characters. So, um, and he's got a prose story, so you got to work for that one. Um, so yeah, no, uh, <laughs> no Batman, no Superman. Uh, they're mentioned right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't make the meeting because someone has to stop crime uh, while these superheroes meet. Um, but in fact, those two, those two wouldn't even team up with each other for another, what, 11 years. So. <laughs> so In the comics. They, yeah. Right. So they're yeah. not about to, they're not about to join any groups. <laughs> so uh, that's, that wasn't their thing. So, um, but I want to hear what, obviously none of us were around for the debut of All-Star Comics number three. So, Mike Bailey, let's start with you. What was your introduction to the Justice Society? Do you remember? Uh, my my proper introduction, I guess you could say, was Who's Who. I was reading old issues of Who's Who when I was a kid and seeing the, seeing that Jerry Ordway double-page spread mm. of the team, like, running in all directions. And I was like, who are these people? Uh, but it really wasn't until I started reading The Flash in 94 and Jay Garrick was part of the book. And I'm like, this guy's cool. This like, like, it's really cool. Like there's this whole other like generation and they were part of like the first superhero team. And shortly after that, I discovered the all-star squadron and then zero hour happened and they killed most of the JSA. (laughs) It's kind of a, kind of a wilderness years, but really and truly it was 1999 when uh, DC decided, Hey, this whole JLA thing is working out. Let's do JSA and James Robinson. And oddly enough, David Goyer uh, brought the team back. Uh, and Jeff Johns came on soon after that. And I was just hooked after for, for all time after that. 
Great series. Yes. Uh, I was, uh, I, I was on board with that one as well. Um, uh, Kevin, what about you? What, uh, what was, do you remember your first JSA encounter? I think I, I knew you were going to ask this question because I, I know how you start these things. And so, uh, I was actually going through <laughs> You've my, been on the show a few you times. Know, uh, I was going through my boxes <laughs> of comics and pulling out some things and looking at stuff, had some fun this evening, just going over, uh, my history with the JSA. And I think, Maybe the first time I encountered the JSA in comics was, and this is a visual, so this does not help the listeners, but this, I got one of those oh. giant, giant-sized tabloid comics from the, the 70s. Treasury. The PC, the big, giant-sized treasury nice. reprint edition. This is a Justice League comic, not the Justice Society, but the back cover oh, has the JSA. Nice. They're not inside the comic at all. They just put them on the back cover. In the, It's like the same pose as the JLA <laughs> on the front. So this yeah, might have yeah. been my introduction to seeing characters like Dr. Fate and Dr. Midnight, and then also seeing the old versions of why does the Flash look different? Why is Green Lantern dressed in red and with a purple cape and all that? And Hawkman, where did your ears go? You know, uh, So that this might have been as a confused little kid the first time I saw the JSA. And then after that, you know, comics, uh, I, I think I missed originally the, the All-Star Comics revival of the 70s with Power Girl and so on. So I think it would have been um, a combination of things where I started seeing JSA and that would have been the Justice League comics where they do the annual team ups with the Justice yep. League and the Justice Society. In fact, I think my first one of those was this one. This is from oh. 1979, I think. This was, uh, well, Mr. Terrific. This was the death. Mr. Terrific, yeah, that's right. The death of Mr. Terrific, a character I'd never heard of before. And then the first time I see him, yes, he's murdered in a <laughs> Justice League. <laughs> but, uh, oh, terrific. And I was also getting, I had the giant size comic, but then they also made these little tiny comics back then. And the, the little tiny uh, DC Blue Ribbon Digest reprint comics, they did a couple of Justice Society issues. So that the first pure jsa golden age stories i read were certainly in these little tiny digests i love the cover to that one because batman's just being a jerk he's just directing people he's not really he's not helping at all he's just got the plans in front of him the, yeah the cover on this one it's the justice society i guess they're so pleased with themselves that they're all just working on on uh, building a giant sculpture of the the eagle with the shield a jsa logo it's very important work very important, <laughs> as it was, yeah, then. Um, uh, Mike Faber, what about you? Well, for me, I go a little bit older than that, and probably the first time I ever was exposed to the Justice Society was around Justice League of America 107, and that was when the first time I, I had picked up the Justice League from, like, 104 for on, and loved it because it was a superhero team up and it was Superman, Batman, the Flash, Green Lantern and everything. All of a sudden in this next issue, there was another team called the Justice Society of America teaming up. And then it was also introducing a group called the Freedom Fighters. And it was like, this is just awesome. There's another Flash. There's another Green Lantern. And this guy has a cape. Oh, why is he wearing, you know, a red shirt with purple and green? Oh, that just clashes. That's just awful, the costume. But it was just, it was really cool to see. And there was, you know, each one had a counterpart. And then you also had a Dr. Fate in there also. And it was really cool to see. And I just started then trying to pick up anything I could by it. And I had this, 
you know, at the same time, they were coming out with what Kevin was holding up, these giant issues of, you know, comics. And they came out with one it was the first appearances. They did, like, at the time they were doing Detective Comics 27. They did Action Number 1. But they also did All-Star Comics Number 3. And so I ordered the All-Star Comics exactly, first edition. And it was awesome because, you know, this was their origin, supposedly. This was their first big adventure. And all they did was sit around a table and tell stories. A big, treasure, <laughs> a big treasury edition of that uh, sitting around a table telling stories. But, yeah, and from that, point, from that point on, I was hooked. Anytime there was any appearance of any of the Earth 2 characters, I went back and started picking up at comic shops and comic shows, you know, all the different appearances. I had the first, for a while, I had the first copies of the crossover, the very first one, Crisis on Earth 2. And, you know, I have, now I have them all in trade and they mm -hmm. actually put out um, all the different trades and stuff. But, you know, and I just became hooked. And I, my favorite character is the Jay Garrick Flash. Mm -hmm. He, he, there's just something about him that is like he you almost wanted him to be your dad type care you know type thing he was like you know he and then to see him up on screen was just awesome you know just you know for and being played by the original flash john shipley you know and it was mm -hmm. just awesome and so and he lied to me about that we'll talk about that <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, uh, like a lot of you, um, I was introduced to the Justice Society through the Justice League. Um, and uh, it was one of their crossovers uh, back in Justice League of America. Um, I don't go back as far as you, Mike, but shortly thereafter, um, mine was actually the first, it's not the first time that it was my first crisis uh, as well. Um, and it's, you guys can see this, but it's, this bad boy. Oh, that was such uh, a great story. That was such um, a great it's a, it's run. It's a three-issue story, and uh, I had the first part. I didn't have the second or third part for years after that. But um, this is a team-up between the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Shazam Squadron of Justice. Um, and it involves all three Earths. Um, uh, yeah, Earth, uh, Earth one, of course, or two, which the Justice Society would would move to, which never made sense to me. But <laughs> yeah, I always thought they should have been Earth one. Come on, exactly. You know? They were first, right? But no, the primary one is Earth one, and then uh, I can't even remember what Shazam's Earth was called. Earth S. Earth thank S. you, thank you. That should yep. be easy, right? So, um. This story, I just reread it, um, all three issues, uh, thanks to DC Infinite, it's called now, right? Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's a fun story. It makes no sense whatsoever. It's crazy bonkers, um, and it's not even really a, a proper crisis story. But, you know, it, it's a fun, it's fun uh, for nostalgia reason. And it was the first time, because I'm a, I'm a Batman guy, you know, I'm a Batman guy through and through, and the thing I, I found most compelling about the justice society when I was introduced to them, they were already on earth Two. Batman was older. Robin had grown up. Uh, Huntress was the kid. Like there was all this, this legacy involved with the Batman character it was a completely different um, setup there. And uh, I just found that fascinating. Um, mm -hmm. So 
So that's our, our introductions. Um, and uh, it's interesting how we are mostly introduced by it uh, to the, to the team by the justice league. Mm -hmm. uh, the justice league would come like what in 1960 is when the justice league would be born in the fam and brave and the bold number 28. Yes. Um, and so that was a quite a while later. Um, but the Justice Society had a pretty good. Now, have have you guys gone back, Mike? You said you did, um, and we read a lot of those All Star stories. Is there anything from their first like incarnation as the Justice Society that you guys like stories that really resonated with you guys? Yeah, of course, the Injustice Society. You had you know their arch all the different heroes. Of course, you know it, it was their version of the Legion of Doom, basically. Mm -hmm. And so you had, you know, people like the wizard, you had pre-Degaton, you had Solomon Grundy, you had, you know, Icicle, you had, you know, the Sportsmaster, you had the Huntress, or Tigress, sorry. Tigress, right. Huntress, Huntress comes later. But, um, but yeah, and you had all these different characters. But the thing, you also had Wonder Woman as their secretary. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For those people who don't know, um, Wonder Woman made her debut in All Star Comics number eight, I believe, yeah. uh, in 19, December 1941. That was the first time. Yeah. So if anybody asks why wasn't Wonder Woman on the team, like we're in, uh, when they made their debut, it's because she hadn't made her debut yet. <laughs> but as soon as she made her debut, um, you know, and I think she's technically the first woman to be on the team, right? Oh yes. 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 Oh yes. Hawk, yeah. Hawk, well, Hawk Girl was never a member of the Justice Society back back then. Right. No. Yeah, it was just gotcha. Hawkman. Um, those she appeared in all the stories, but you know, but she yeah. a lot of them, but she just was not a member. The um, Golden Age stories, you know, they they are what they are. They're they're not great literature uh, for the most part. And these, they're insane. These, uh, what you're saying. <laughs> and these Justice Society <laughs> stories, maybe even more so because of the formula of them in that they almost, in general, they would split apart. It's whatever the problem was, it's okay, JSA, here we go into action. And then they would each have their own individual chapter of the story. They'd each solve a little piece of whatever they had to do. And that allowed them, from a logistics standpoint, to different artists would illustrate each different chapter for each hero. So, you know, Joe Kubert uh, later in the later in the run would draw Hawkman and so on. Um, yeah. They're, they're, they don't stand up as great stories by and large. They're kind of gimmicky. They're kind of, they're fun. They're, they're, they're a great uh, period, you know, period piece of their time. The, one of the stories that I read in one of these little tiny reprints back then was called five drowned men. Mm -hmm. And that that was actually pretty solid as a story. That was a fun one, really cool. And that, that was the one, the only JSA story where Superman and Batman are actual active participants. They officially they mm -hmm. were honorary honorary members of the JSA back then. I think they, there was one early issue where they made a cameo appearance, and other than that, just that one story. And I think that's from All Star Thirty Six. That was the only one where they actually were participating along with the rest of the heroes. Yeah, the, the JSA was was interesting in the Golden Age because they were technically also the first intercompany crossover. Yeah, that was all because, American. Yeah, yeah, National and All American uh, were technically two different companies, and in fact, they officially split at one point, like around All Star Twenty Four, 
And suddenly the Flash and Green Lantern had to come back because they couldn't use some of the characters anymore. Mm. And there's an article in the first All-Star Companion where they show, like, where they had to redraw characters. It's like, (laughs) why does the Spectre holding Starman's rod and stuff like that? (laughs) Uh, But uh, I, you know... I love you. <laughs> they were good friends. Yeah, it's we'll, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. we'll explain it, why he was holding that later on. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I was going to mention the same one Kevin did, uh, that stream of ruthlessness uh, story yes. that uh, Roy Thomas would bring back in Infinity Incorporated. But there's something bonkers about All-Star number three because it is just them all telling stories. It's just like, like Hawkman is fighting the Molaram from Indiana Jones and the temple of doom for some reason. (laughs) And like the Adam is there and the Adam is probably one of my favorite members of the team because he's five, two and just angry all the time. (laughs) He's also the young, he's one of the youngest too, because he's in, in, he's in college, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're all in their twenties, but. But the team is crazy. When you look at this, is a team whose lineup includes the Adam, who's just a short, angry college student, zero superpowers. He's... And then you have the Spectre, also. <laughs> They're all sitting there together around the table. Quite a range Which, of uh, abilities. of death, basically. <laughs> the, the Spectre, whose powers are whatever they needed him to anything, be. Right? Anything. <laughs> yeah, a godlike um, figure, essentially, is sitting there talking to the, the college kid wearing the, the ski mask and no pants. I do, I do like the second story a lot. Uh, the issue, issue four, where they're going up against the sort of um, uh, voice of Nazism, like in the United States, like this sort of um, boy reading that now. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is this is pretty relevant, kind of. It's scary, but um, uh, I, I do like that. It, it's much more of a team effort. They team up at the at the end uh, after the government sends them all on these separate missions to, but they all, the, the main bad guy is the same. And so they, at the end, they all confront him, which is pretty, pretty cool. Um, but I, I now the, the team's created in 1940. Obviously we know what happens to the world during 1940, <laughs> 1941, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the justice society for the most part does not fight Nazis, does not fight, in World War II, right? Now, mm-hmm. there's a story reason why yes. that they can't. Um, and that's because uh, Hitler holds the, uh, what is it, the staff? The Spear, the of, Spear Destiny. of Destiny. Spear of Destiny, that's right, right. Which, uh, it, it, you know, has a range of about the size of Europe, conveniently so. <laughs> and that mm-hmm. will not let any, well, no, any superhero that breaks that will turn into, like, will be a at Nazi. Hitler's will. Right. Yes. Yep. Right. Now, and even that, guys, I think that that was a conceit that was added, like in the seventies. I was going to say now, yeah. now, yeah. right? That wasn't something that was done then. So I'm kind of curious, and um, you know, Bailey, I'm going to turn to you. Do you know why, like, outside of story reasons, that they didn't take on Nazis? Because Marvel, or what you know, what they were called, timely, timely yeah, was timely. was punching Hitler on the cover of their books, right? Like, yeah, I've, I've I've been reading Golden Age Captain America all month, and <laughs> he is just like he's constantly fighting the Japanese and the and the and the Germans. Yeah. And boy, does that art not hold up <laughs> on a comfortable level? Right. But no, right. Uh, DC uh, or National or whatever they called themselves were really kind of weird in that, like the heroes fought the war 
on their covers, but it was hardly in the books. And there was like a feeling basically that, you know, if a kid reads a story where Superman ends the war, the war is still going to be going on when the kid right. finishes the story. And how could he not end the war? Cause he's so powerful. Right. I like, mean, they, they had that thing in look magazine where he grabs Hitler and Stalin and brings them to the league of nations in two, in two pages. So uh, I, I, it was just always on their part. It's just like, we're going to be patriotic on the covers, you know, with, you know, Batman and Robin and Superman posing, you know, all straddling large guns. Boy, is that a weird cover. Uh, mm-hmm. But they in, they didn't really do much in the in the uh, stories. In fact, the the JSA, like all disbanded in an issue. Yeah. And all joined different aspects of the service, mm-hmm. uh, which they would later refer to as like the Justice Battalion. Yeah, the Justice um, Battalion and, and All-Star. They actually formed an all-star squadron, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was in the late seventies, early eighties. Yeah. They yeah. That, that was 1980 with, with Roy Thomas. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, yeah. Oh, beautiful jury Ordway art and yeah. stuff. That was, yeah, yeah. that was a great, great run. The, um, okay. So, uh, anything else about like the actual golden age before sort of they, in, while they were in the golden age until we get switched to the bronze age when they're reintroduced as earth two. Well, they ran into the whole, you know, the whole thing with the fading, you know, comic book industry mm-hmm. with, you know, DC sure, sure. starting to lose, you know, popularity. And they had the whole thing with this, them being put in front of the Senate and, you know, the McCarthy hearings and stuff like that. And the Justice Society, you know, that they could still keep on going, but they had to reveal their identities. And they said no. And they in an act of you know heroism they disappeared and they were never heard of again until later no no that yeah. was that that was not a story in the 1950s though okay no 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 it is confusing when you look back in the history because there's so much that has been retconned yeah. about yeah. Oh, yeah. the justice society that it's hard to keep track yeah. of what if, actually if, if happened story yeah, if you go back to what was actually <laughs> happening and this is into the early 50s when all-star comics one day yeah. it suddenly changed into all-star western and with no explanation yeah. whatsoever the superheroes are gone now this is a western comic book and that's just because mm-hmm. superheroes exactly. were just falling out of fashion right and pretty and much the only it. characters that were continuing were the ones that were not in the Justice Society, right? The, big, the ones the that big were th- the big three. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. yeah, more or less. Yeah, I mean, Green Arrow stuck around as a backup, and Aquaman, yeah, and, and whatnot. Aquaman, Aquaman and Green Arrow shared a place, yeah. uh, for for most of the fifties. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and again, um, Mike mentioned <laughs> the uh, the All Star Comics uh, Companion, which are a series of books that Roy Thomas wrote about the Justice Society, and he, he there's a the page in that first volume about when that happened is Roy Thomas was a kid subscribing to all-star comics to, because he loved the justice society. Like, and then, what? yeah, one day <laughs> this Western comic arrives instead. And, and he, in the book, he said, I cried. <laughs> you know? And and at that time, like, like now modern comics readers, we know nothing ever goes away forever. If a, if a, a, a series is canceled at the team, a hero goes away. All right. They're going to revamp and reboot. It'll be back in, in 18 months. Roy Thomas had no reason to think that he would ever see a superhero team like that ever again. It's true. Yeah, w- w- when you think about it, the space of time between the JSA kind of fizzling out in 1951 and Barry Allen appearing in 1956 <laughs> was the new 52. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Whereas Absolutely. to a kid in the 1950s, that was an eternity. And you had no idea that the heroes were ever going to come yeah. back. You're and then you see all of a sudden, you see the, the Flash. And, yeah. and even that's, it's like, wait a minute, that's not the Flash. You know, where's and, the helmet? And Where of course, the, I mean, the, 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 it took years. You know, it wasn't like, okay, we're bringing the superheroes back. It was, here's one issue of one Flash comic. And then, you know, six months later, they get the sales figures back. Oh, that sold pretty well. Let's do it again. And here's one more issue. And it took years, you know, in an event, let's try Green Lantern. And four years later, they let's revive the JSA. And now we'll call it the JLA. Right. So historically, what happens is in 1961, September, Flash 123 comes out and Barry Allen encounters Jay Garrick. And suddenly the Justice Society and, and those that that whole world is now can be introduced to like DC Comics. Proper, a new generation right? of readers, basically. Right. Yeah. So um, and then, as we said, by like 19, what is it? 63, I think the Justice League, the Justice Society meets the JLA for the first time mm-hmm. in Justice League number 21. They team up for the first time. They team up like a bunch of times after that. Like, I think it's an annual thing. It it became Um, an annual tradition for many, many years. And And, that's the great thing about it was, you know, all the different, that's where they got the word crisis into their vocabulary. Yeah, Yeah, because it's right there in that first issue, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Crisis on Earth 1 or Earth 2, right? So. um, So, okay, so we're moving now to the 60s, we're moving to the 70s. What stories there, what titles there were you guys uh, made an impact for as far as the Justice Society? Because I don't think there was a proper Justice Society comic title, because I think most of that was in All-Star Squadron, right? Yeah, well, All-Star no. Comics before that. In, in All-Star the, in Comics. The mix, yeah, in, came back in yeah, 75. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, yeah. that's where they had Power Girl and... Uh, that's where they also brought Star Spangled Kid yeah. back into. Yeah, because even then they didn't. Yeah, they didn't call it Justice Society. It was the Justice Society was in the comic, but it, but it was All Star Comics was, featuring the Super Squad, which was the name they came up with for the younger characters, by which they meant yeah, Star Spangled mm. Kid and or Robin, the Earth Two Robin, and Power Girl, which was the, now is this all done by Roy Thomas? No, this was no. Roy was still at Marvel. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry Conway wrote the first yes. uh, couple of issues of, All- nice. of the All-Star Revival. Gotcha. And then Paul Levitz took over yeah. ah, and yeah, kind of yeah. ran the show until well, the All-Star Revival ended with 74 and they moved mm-hmm. to Adventure Comics. Yeah, it was just a strip. That was a when bit. Adventure was like a, a, a giant-sized anthology book for a while. With uh... yeah, But the two, big, the two big things with All-Star Squadron, though, was the introduction of Power Girl. And also, All Star Comics. Comics. Sorry, sorry, sorry. It was easy to make this mistake. (laughs) Oh yeah. No, All Star -Star Comics, and it was also drawn by Wally Wood at the Mm -hmm. time. And but also we had the (laughs) brought in the introduction. Well, she was introduced in a DC Comics special, but her first Mm -hmm. regular Justice Society issue was the Huntress. Yep. Because Helena Wayne. Yeah, because they were essentially Earth 2 versions of Supergirl and Batgirl. With Earth 2, Justice Society, now Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman have active roles. They're not honorary members. They're they're active in every... Almost every encounter right. with them. Unless you die, which in Batman's case, that's what he He does in Adventure (laughs) Comics. (laughs) They also had the issue of Brave and the Bold where Batman and Catwoman of Earth 2 got married. Yeah, that was 197, which yeah. is 
one of the greatest Batman stories ever told. And I can say that because it's in the greatest Batman stories stories ever told. (laughs) (laughs) Truth in advertising. No, the 60s stuff is... The the problem with 60s DC is that, with few exceptions, it's incredibly formulaic. So it's fun to read, but you don't want to, like, binge read it. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it really, like, like for me personally, I, I bought all of those trade paperbacks as they were coming out back in the early 2000s. Because yeah. uh, I was just fascinated that, oh my god, they're actually releasing these things. One of the cool things with the Justice League Justice Society team-ups that they did, starting like with the early 70s, um, when they brought in Black Canary, you know, they basically brought her to Earth One. And then from that point on, every time the Justice League gathered with the Justice Society, they brought in another team, per se, to team up with the two teams to keep it interesting. They did the Seven Soldiers of Victory. They brought modernized them. Then they did the year after that was the Freedom Fighters. Yep. And then that's how they introduced Earth X. Um, then the one after that, they did Earth Prime, and they brought in the creators for the Justice League. And Carrie Bates, I think, was the bad guy in it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he also had Elliot S. Magan as one of the characters. Yeah, and Earth so- X was originally supposed to be Earth Swastika, but editor Julius Schwartz was like, no, not <laughs> one of my comics. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> and so I th- and I think the one after that was the Legion of Superheroes. Yeah, yeah they, did they did Legion did. with uh, more Drew, I think, in that one. And yeah, they, yeah, they did more uh, Drew they, and the and the demons. Yep, they did uh, Apocalypse eventually. They did a whole New Gods yeah. crossover thing. The New the Gods 80s, crossover. So, yeah, that was one of George. That's one of George Perez's yes. first uh, DC works yep. too. So All Star Squadron, when we finally get into the eighties, that was such a, a high water mark for. Um, and this is you know Roy Thomas, who we keep mentioning because he was just the super fanboy his whole life of Justice Society, and he finally jumps ship from Marvel to DC in nineteen eighty. And now he finally gets to play with with his babies, with you know the, the characters he'd been dying to to work on probably his whole life. And he kind of became Mr. Earth, too, at D.C. For, yeah, for he's, he's the golden oh, yeah. age guardian, yeah. I like to call him. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yep. very much so. Yep. And it's but, interesting because then he – that's when he got All-Star Squadron. Yeah. And, and it was based off – the story of the All-Star Squadron was based off the secret origin of the Justice Society, which was back in 1977 in D.C. special uh, number 29. That was such a crazy fun series. And yeah, his concept is we're going to do World War II. We're going to move through the war <laughs> slowly. <laughs> and uh, um, and with the idea that, yeah, all the superheroes that, that fell under the DC National Comics umbrella at that time, working historically, I'm going to use them in one giant group. So it was the JSA, plus it was everybody else that he had the right to use. And the cool thing about it was he didn't just have it be the JSA. The main characters of that book were Johnny Quick and Liberty Bell. Yeah, yeah. Who were two really obscure DC heroes. Yeah, yeah. So many characters I'd never seen before were in that. Tarantula and uh, 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 Firebrand, Robot Man, Mm -hmm. the original Robot Man. Yeah, and I love Robot Man. I love Roy Thomas, too, because uh, Robot Man's assistant was named Chuck Grayson. So, obviously, he was related to Dick Grayson because by the transitive properties of everything. Oh, he would pluck these obscure little bits of trivia out of the original 
JSA all-star comic stories and, and find ways to weave things together. And you'd have to read the letter column pages just right where he would explain all the stuff that nobody would get except him oh, in the story. Exactly. And they, they explained in the story why the freedom fighters went to Earth X. Yeah. And they yeah. you know and it's just it was just awesome stuff. And they even did a crossover with the All Star Squadron, the Justice League, and the current Justice Society. Mm-hmm. And, the, and so it was just if craziness. I'm correct, the term retcon was coined in those letter in the All Star Squadron letters pages. Oh wow. Yeah, really? I think that could be. Yeah. Yeah. That then that would make sense. If there was you know, that actually is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. the, uh, Roy Thomas, the king of the retcon, right? <laughs> like that's even a better title. You didn't have a ton of Batman and Superman and Robin, you know, yeah. in these stories. So, no, or Wonder no. you had some Wonder Woman, yeah. but not a ton. But then, then you had Crisis, and that totally yeah, yeah, Crisis, it all out the Crisis. window. Yeah, before we get to Crisis, I had just uh, over the weekend. I read um, again, thanks to DC Infinite app. I read uh, for the first time um, America versus Justice Society. Oh yeah, the four issues, right? Where where it seems like <laughs> it seems like uh, the whole purpose of this is for Roy Thomas to get it straight. Like, okay, here's the entire history of the Justice Society of America up to this point until we kill them off. <laughs> like, like we're going to kill them off right after this. But here we go. So this is going to make sense to everybody for as long as it's relevant, which is only going to be a few months. Yeah, he, he incorporated um, all the old JSA stories from the like Golden Age into like, a four-issue miniseries. Yeah, it is It is at a pretty impressive, and it's got its own, you know, actually Batman and Robin uh, end up being one of the key figures in that miniseries. Yeah, which is this Batman's diary from beyond the grave yeah. he accuses the JSA of treason. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep, and uh, and it's it's really a great series. I recommend people checking that up, picking that up because it's really. I think it does sort of uh, encapsulate everything that Roy Thomas and everything that they were doing in the eighties uh, to try to make sense of the Justice Society history up to that point. And and right uh, two years into it, he introduces Infinity Incorporated. Yes. Uh, which, legacy. Yeah. Well, they were introduced, weren't they, in the crossover with the Justice League and the Justice Society? They were orig- that's when mm-hmm. they were originally brought in. Mm-hmm. And then they spun off into their own comic from there. It was an all-star squadron story. Uh, Fury yeah. actually made her first appearance in Wonder Woman number 300. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of them really popped up for the first time. It was like right at the two-year mark of, the J- of all-star squadron. Uh, in fact, there's a great cover of like Jay Garrick rolling up his sleeves as he's walking towards the camera. Like they're just they're just about to bust open on somebody. But and that went into All Star Squadron Annual Number Two, not to be confused with Annual Number Three, which is probably the craziest one because not only was that the president's one yes not only does it explain how they stay young because of this villain named ian carcool but also they end up saving all of the presidents except one and they never reveal who it was but like you've got george herbert walker bush and ronald reagan and richard nixon and jfk and it was drawn by 
like Martin O'Dell drew the, uh, who was the co-creator of Green Lantern, got to draw the Green Lantern story. And Wayne Boring and Jerry Ordway, which was just a massive team, uh, <laughs> drew the Superman story. And Catwoman was running around with that dumb, stupid cat head yeah. that she yeah. had for 30 <laughs> seconds in the Golden Age. Oh, it was great stuff. Yes, and uh, I want to move forward a little bit faster um, because we're, we're we're dangerously running out of time. Yeah. So I'm going to skip uh, the the early '90s. I know that they existed there, but as you said, Michael Bailey, um, they pretty much get canceled out after Zero Hour, right? So Zero Hour um, starts, um, and then the ni- so we get 1999, right? So in 1999, mm-hmm. James Robinson does this book called The Golden Age, right? The four issue series, Elseworlds. Was ninety four? Was it ninety four? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. The Golden Age came out in ninety four. It was before he did Star. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have that. Sorry, I have that as ninety three. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Um, so James Robinson, Paul Smith do this. It's it's very much like. Watchmen for Justice Society. Like, yes. <laughs> like it really is. Oh, like, yeah. if you like Watchmen, like, pick this up. It's it's right in your wheelhouse. I think now it's being, like, the title is called JSA Golden yeah. Age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically this alternate... Yeah, if you read... If you read um, America versus Justice Society, and then read this, it's amazing how close they are uh, with some, obviously, some influences, some 90s influences there. But the golden age becomes a big hit for, for them. And they, I think DC started to say like, Hey, let's, let's bring the justice society back. And so uh, James Robinson comes in, uh, but before that he writes, he gets right. Starman, right. In 94, he starts that, that series, which goes to great acclaim. And then uh, by 1999, JSA proper comes back. Robinson writes the first, like, what is it, four or five issues? And mm-hmm. then Jeff Johns takes place with David Goyer. I'll mention his name. Um, but <laughs> And then, uh, and Jeff Johns just, it, it's like the baton is tossed, right? Jeff oh, Johns yeah. is, is then, like, the guardian of the Golden Age. He takes on the Justice Society for this incredible run that, uh like yeah, it's it's huge. It reinstates like Hawkman. He tries to make sense of Hawkman with his series in two thousand two. Um, then you've got Stars and Stripes that introduces Star Girl nineteen ninety nine. Uh, Black Adam becomes a major figure in that mm-hmm. series as well. Um, what did you guys think of that run? Because that to me is like, and I think Michael Bailey, you've already mentioned it, but that to me is like, it's great stuff. I think I I, I cannot tell you how excited i was for that book to come out uh in in 99 i i dc had made jla a brand starting in like 1998 uh the great morrison right yeah yeah yeah. morrison's jla made jla a thing so they're they design a logo that's very similar to that with jsa and it's funny because they got rid of the jsa because it made them look old because early 90s and image. And then by the end of the decade, they're like, oh, what the heck? And what it did was create more of a sense of legacy with the DC universe, which is what I think it has over Marvel. While Marvel has a history in the Golden Age, and you have like a book called The Invaders, which is written by Roy Thomas, oddly enough. Um, <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, you, you didn't... DC was more apt to mind that stuff because they existed as a company throughout that entire thing. Whereas Marvel was all like all over the place until 1961. So this book, 
it was always at the top of my stack when I would buy it. Uh, and Jeff Johns became one of my favorite writers ever. He was writing Flash. He was writing JSA. And you mentioned it. He brought Black Adam in and basically, okay, it's Namor. But at the same time, <laughs> that's what kind of DC needed at that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it created this great dynamic because Captain Marvel shows up because he's got to keep an eye on Black Adam. And that book, really up until Infinite Crisis, was probably one of the strongest books DC had. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so too. Oh, very much so. They even brought in the Superman from Kingdom Come into yes, that story. That's right. Which was pretty, pretty yeah. awesome. So we're kind of blending and, the, the 90s JSA and then the, the 2000-whatever series, Justice Society. One of the great things with the with the 90s JSA, it was about legacy. You even had, you know, Jack, you know, Starman. Yeah, Jack from, Knight. You know, Jack Knight. You had him give the cosmic staff to Courtney mm-hmm. for, for, for her to become Stargirl. And which was awesome because he wanted, he gave up being a superhero and it tied into the end of the Starman series. I mean, and this was which was really awesome. All the pieces had been in place for literally decades, for a half a century. And as far as w- what what is the Justice Society comic book capable of being, and that that it never had been. There have been some solid adventure stories and historical stuff from from Roy, but these were the right guys in the right place at the right time with with Jeff Johns and James Robinson and, and Goyer to embrace. Yeah, the legacy the family you can have these super powerful characters but also have it be warm and family and generations and do all that stuff in a way that you you never could with the justice league jsa right. mm-hmm. you can do that with yeah and i think that's because a lot of those characters some of them did but a lot of those characters didn't have their own titles so mm-hmm. they were allowed to grow and become a much more um um identifiable characters say the characters that you can invest in because they weren't just showing up and nothing was going to change with them. And it was really awesome because you even had characters like Sandy Sanders become the new Sandman mm-hmm. in the, in that JSA run you had, you know, you had legacy, you had uh, the son of Hawkman and Hawk, Hawk girl become Dr. Fate because of what happened to him in Neil Gaiman's Sandman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the first 14 or 15 issues of that. Oh, I, actually, I'll go even like the first like 25 issues of that was like Goyer and Robinson and Jeff Johns, like correcting every mistake that was made with these characters <laughs> in the 90s. It's just yeah, like, okay, okay we're, 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 we're getting rid of what happened to, 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 to Hector Hall. He's going to be Dr. Fate. <laughs> and we're, we're, we're dealing with that whole extant thing. And we're going to finally make sense of Hawkman. And it's just like, okay, this is like the rehab for, for, for the, the old folks home. Mm-hmm. And they brought in a great new Mr. Terrific. They brought mm-hmm. in, you know, and, you know, you brought in modern versions of some of the classic heroes that well, were gone. They made the team a lot more diverse, which yeah. needed oh, to happen. Oh, very right, much right. so. Um, which needed to happen for that to be accessible for quote unquote modern readers. But, um, but yeah, I think, Kevin, to your point, yeah, you do sort of, it is broken up. You have the JSA run from 1999 to 2006, and then 50, the new 52 happens, and then it's the Justice Society of America from 2006 yeah, to 2011. Yeah, yeah, yeah this one. Yeah, yep, yeah. exactly. 
um, where they're around a table again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but at least they didn't sit around just talking about stories in that one. So, so that's where um, that two thousands one. I think a, a fan favorite character was a uh, cyclone. Who, who yes. was a, uh, the, oh, right. yes. the young girl who was uh, the granddaughter, was she, of, of Ma, the granddaughter Ma Uncle, of Ma the, Uncle. the original Who had been tornado. kidnapped by a villain <laughs> and, like, kept for years? It was just like, like, John's, he, I love Jeff John's to death, but, man, he's got, like, I, I imagine, like, we could do Dark Half 2 with Jeff John's, where he's got, like, this thing in the back of his head that's making him do all these evil things in yeah. the stories that he writes. Yeah, I, I, yeah. If you had told me uh, what I think of Jeff Jones now, back then when I was reading the JSA book, I was, I would have thought you were crazy. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot has changed since then. A lot has happened. There's been a lot of stuff under the bridge uh, over the years because after the 2011 run, after it ended, um, I kind of, I don't, to be honest with you, for the last 20 years or whatever, I couldn't. Ten years, anyway. I couldn't tell you what's happened with the Justice League. They haven't. Do, they haven't done much with them. And in, in recent years, they haven't really used them much, have they? No. I well, mean, they did that awful a... fifty-two series called Earth Two. Right. I was going to say they had that book called Earth Two, yeah, which wasn't which really was a horrible. JSA. It, well, it was newer versions yeah, of the of same own, characters because they brought in a Green Lantern, a Flash, and they brought Huntress and Power Girl back. They brought in a different – an African-American Superman. They brought in – you know, they did all these different types of characters and it was a horrible run. It was just horrible. Yeah. But then in the last two years, they brought back the original Justice Society. Finally. Yeah, it seems like they're working on it. I mean I read spoilers for – Doomsday Clock, but yeah, Doomsday you know, Clock it, came it, out over a year ago. You don't have to worry about spoiling. <laughs> it it feels like it took four years for it to come yeah, out. It, um, it, it did. did. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's openings. I mean, Johnny Thunder's in it. There's openings that uh, Alan Scott's in it, or Alan Scott's Lanterns in it, that kind of thing. And it looks like there's there's a door open for the Justice Society to come back. And I guess with uh, Darkest Nights and, and Dark Nights, uh, that series, it looks like the Justice Society have have kind of peered around the corner or made a cameo in that too. So it looks like as of right now in the DC universe that the justice society has fully been restored to the timeline. Although what that means, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's all really like between the last issue of doomsday clock and what they just recently did in death metal, which I, I still like, I'm so glad I picked the, I had two doors at the beginning of rebirth. I had doomsday clock and, and the metal stuff. And I went to doomsday clock and uh, I was better for the difference. Um, I've heard that it, from a it, lot of people. It took me a long time to get there <laughs> because that book took a long time to come a out. Really high bar though. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed that you even chose one of those doors. Like I, 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 ju I jumped out the window. <laughs> But the, the no, thing I just is, went through the wall. Oh it, man, it, it's just amazing to go from 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 somebody that just loved these characters, but they were just you know like only comics fans were into them. They made an appreciance on Smallville. Yes, with uh, Patrick, their, their first live action appearance yeah. was in season yes. nine of Smallville with Patrick Swayze's brother playing Sylvester Pemberton, which was just <laughs> weird. Um, the first time they did live action Stargirl in that. And then, you know, they, they popped had a cool up version on... of fate though, in that mm -hmm. one. 
and Hawkman. Yeah, he too. like like that like for Smallville's a lot like Arrow, where in the beginning it's like no flights and no tights, and at the or like we're never gonna have any superpowers, and at the end, you know, Arrow's the Spectre, and <laughs> Clark is hanging out with the Justice Society. So. <laughs> Uh, with with like a screen accurate Hawkman, which I was never expecting, uh, but they they appeared on the Brave and the Bold cartoon, yep. uh, mm-hmm. basically razzing Batman, which I just loved. They just sat there and were just giving him a hard time. And now, uh, within a couple of months, getting back to be... that whole diary traitor thing. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but they're gonna they're having an animated movie. They're doing a direct to yep. to. Direct digital, direct whatever, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to say direct to VHS or direct it'll, to home it'll video. It'll probably be on HBO Max, sense. right? It'll yeah. probably be on HBO Max and, and debut. Well, you're also Batman. you're forgetting two big other appearances of them. You're also forgetting, of course, on Legends of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. They had the Justice yeah, Society. They're at the end of season one, and then most of season two, I think. Yep. Most of season two, they played major roles, and then, of course, Star Girl. Yeah. 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 If you would have told me 10 years ago that they would have live action, comic book accurate Dragon King that on a television show, I would have called you a liar. Oh, oh Solomon Grundy, Icicle. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's astonishing. It's, just, it, it's a Stargirl series, but they're doing JSA, they're doing Injustice Society, and they're doing it Seven might as well and, be called, It might as well be ca- called like JSA The Next yeah, Generation. But plus Seven, mm, Soldier, yeah. seven Soldiers of Victory on top of all that. <laughs> Oh, I know. Oh, it was so awesome seeing the Shining Knight. That was just like, yes. <laughs> yeah, was, that, it, that's like my favorite. Stargirl right now, I think, is my favorite CW oh, easily. Uh, DC show. Easily. Oh, very much so. Um, and I, I'm so looking forward to seeing them do Shade this next season. Yes. Mm. yes. Oh. Because you know that the guy, because not only is Jeff Johns the major producer and, and contributor to that series, but he's pulled in James Robinson as well. So all that complete run, that great stuff we had with Starman is going to be, um, you know, show up in some form on Stargirl as well. So that that's a lot to look forward to. So, mm-hmm. man, I was wondering how we were going to get the live action stuff jammed into like five minutes. But you guys did it. Uh, like, <laughs> you guys are pros at this. Oh, yeah. um, oh come on. I right. had such a total geek out moment. The very first episode of Stargirl when they had that battle at the mansion. Mm-hmm. Watching them all and die. Yeah, that was watching great. It. Oh, dude. <laughs> just to see them on the screen yeah, yeah, yeah. was awesome. With <laughs> You know, I wish they would have had John Wesley Shipp, though, as as Jay Garrick in that, as The Flash. Yeah. It, it, it's really cool. amazing that, you know, for for all of the, the talk of, of the Snyder Cut coming to HBO Max, I think, in all honesty, lower budget and everything, it's the CW that has made DC's heroes accessible to a larger audience. Oh, God, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think because with with the sheer amount of characters that they have brought in, you know, we're a month away from the new Superman show, uh, which I, I I know it's going to shock everybody. I'm looking forward to. Uh, <laughs> really, yeah. that's a good sign. Actually, that's a great sign because yeah. Uh, but um, no, but no, it's just like the the fact that now, okay, we've done all these characters. Now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. We're going to show you that DC has this just this epic. Le- like, le- like, uh, legacy. I guess that's the only way to really describe it. They had books in the 40s. They went away, but all of these characters keep getting brought back. 
you know, Jeff Johns went a little overboard with the legacy stuff in the second Justice Society series that he yeah. did. Yes. Where it's like every it's like it's like we're gonna introduce Magog and he's the great grandson of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you're, that's a little too cute. But at the same time, that's a just if you want a book that has history, and this is why the new fifty two failed in my opinion, as a universe is because they told you stuff happened, but you never experienced it. Whereas you read JSA and you got the feeling that there was this whole vibrant universe. And I love that mm-hmm. book you just held up. Uh, favorite. Oh, it was, That's a great oh, it's awesome. Collection that JSA. one is what? My book is that? Tell everybody. Mm-hmm. Justice Tell Society. Everybody. Justice Society of America, a celebrated oh. 75 years. So it is awesome. It well, is a it's, great, great book. Yes, and on that note, because uh, we have to wrap things up, so real quick, um, I want to hear if you could suggest to somebody out there something Justice Society or Justice Society adjacent for them to check out, um, especially if they've got the DC uh, Infinite app, which uh, they can check out about everything. Uh, Michael Bailey, we'll start with you. What is uh, one or two series or stories that they should check out? Uh, it's something we didn't really mention, but the the revival they attempted in 1991 and 1992 was a lot of fun. Yes. There's a miniseries that is inv- available on the Infinite app uh, that was basically done by all the Impact guys as they were waiting for that universe to start. Mm. And then Mike Parabek and Lenz Trzewski did a 10-issue run uh, that is still pretty cheap to find in the back-issue bins. That was just so much fun and ended way too soon. And, uh, like, if you've never seen Mike Parabek's take on the Justice Society, you are missing out on one of the greatest visual representations of that team ever. Yeah, that, that series, it's just, like, solid, classic, fun superhero comics with the original classic team. And, yeah, it's great. Parabek's art is gorgeous. That's If you hadn't mentioned this one, Mike, that was that was the first one I was going to mention. <laughs> I've got my copy right here. Yeah, and, yeah, you can they, – so they've never collected these? No, wow. they no. threatened to, yeah. um, and I say that that they've they've like solicited it, and then it gets pulled. But are they on the mini series? Just came out in a trade paper. Oh, okay, and because yeah, I know that so much the the '90s stuff and 2000s stuff, the Jeff Johns stuff. Most, if not all, of that has been collected, and rightly so. That's it's great that that stuff is pretty easy to find. Because I think All Star Squadron, right? They they did one of the black and white books of it mm-hmm. but they've, they've never done like a real quality oh like a showcase yeah yeah they think they did a showcase i think i saw mike, yeah. yes. i think i saw mike wrestling with yeah, one over there on the, camera yeah, yeah. so they've got <laughs> right the, if you want the cheap black and white version you can get it mm-hmm. which is great it's a cheap way to uh it's, get a dude, lot of it's story out of, it's out of it's out of print it's not yeah. cheap okay it's not cheap <laughs> yeah, so. no, not anymore. <laughs> but, but yeah. they just put a giant trade paperback of the revival era with all the adventure comic stuff in it and the origin yes. of the Justice Society. Yeah, all the uh, 70s of course, stuff. Of course, they, the, they, they called it the death of Batman because it's yeah, DC I was about to say. the modern era. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the second yeah, is I was going to say, because that was pretty big because that's what a lot of the adventure comics run mm-hmm. is known as. Yeah, the, that's when and he didn't even die as Batman. He died as Bruce Wayne. Yeah, because yeah. he was commis- he was the commissioner at that point. Yeah, the seventies stuff has been collected, so it's weird that the eighties stuff hasn't. That they've they've not they haven't done a, a quality reprint series of All Star Squadron, which is just considered such a such a great series. So I, I guess I, if I had to point someone towards something, the nineties two thousands collected stuff is easy to point people to. And also, I would say if you haven't, I, I would say watch Star Girl. 
And then mm-hmm. if you want more of this stuff, then I can point you towards some comics. Oh, yeah. And okay. you're about Mike, to get maybe. a lot more, you know, you're about to get a lot more, even this next season, more Justice Society. They're bringing in a Jakeen Thunder. Oh, yeah. Bringing that, that was in... teased in season one. That, that his, oh, of course the, it was. The younger but brother, and, the brother has a friend named Jakeen right, who was mentioned. Exactly. <laughs> and you hear every time you see the pen, you hear giggling. From the you know the lightning god in there, so, <laughs> which is pretty. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. So um, I agree with what Kevin said. Star Girl, definitely to get your your whistle wet, and then you know for comic wise, either All Star Squadron or any of the Justice League uh, crossovers. They even have you know trades of all the different crossovers. Through the from oh, the nineteen sixties right. yeah, into I think three crisis yeah there's like five crisis or six volumes of that I think crisis there's, yeah, yeah. Exactly. there's like five out exactly and it's funny as hell some of the stories yeah because there was a budding romance between Firestorm and Power Girl and it was just like will they won't they it's like so it was always <laughs> cute but yeah there's so many and you know I love that secret origin of the Justice Society that is the artwork in that and it's yes. just beautiful. It is just, and it explains why they weren't in World War II and sets up the whole All Star Squadron. So, and then the one scene when you know Superman saves the day at the end. Spoilers for a forty-year-old comic. It's just, it's just great. Well, uh, my choices are going to be uh, the aforementioned uh, Golden Age miniseries that came out because mm-hmm. I thought uh, that's yes. still. I just reread that over the weekend, and it's solid stuff. Um, I think in some ways it's a more even I, I enjoy reading it more than I do Watchmen. There's definite influences there, though. Um, but also I'm going to stick with another uh, mature audience's title as well. Um, and everybody knows I like crime noir, but um, one of my favorite series that DC has ever done is Sandman Mystery Theater. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. And uh, Matt Wagner, Stephen Scal, um, Guy Davis, um, and... Not only does it, I mean, obviously it, it, it's a it's a Sandman book, but um, it's one of the best love stories I think in comics, which is uh, Wesley Dodds and uh, Diane. Uh, man, I'm blanking on her last name right now. Diane um, Belmont. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, but also there are encounters with Crimson Avenger, <laughs> uh, Starman, Our Man, and uh, Captain Blackhawk, um, and. They're very weird alternate takes on these characters. Yes. I don't know how much uh, people who love those characters would appreciate their their uh, depictions in that book, but um, I love that book a lot. It hasn't been collected. The complete run hasn't been collected yet, but I think there are a lot available online, so um, check those out. So those are my recommendations, and you've heard everybody else's. That's the best way to celebrate the 80th anniversary of one of the first, the first superhero team in comics. Thank you guys so much for uh, joining us for this. We'll be right back to close out the show. Hey everybody, Michelle here with an iconic rock talk show moment. The Kennedy Center Honors are usually in December, but this year, because pandemic, uh, they're being moved to May, and in May, the honorees will be uh, singer-songwriters Garth Brooks and Joan Baez, classical violinist Midori, uh, choreographer, dancer, and actress Debbie Allen, and Dick Van Dyke. How on earth is it possible in any sane universe that Dick Van Dyke has not been a Kennedy Center honoree until now? 
That is insane. Talk about overdue. And on other things that people are having to wait for, Bruce Springsteen has revealed that he will not be touring until next year. But during a call into his uh, show, E Street Radio on Sirius XM, he said, I have some projects coming up this year. I won't tell because it's going to be a secret and then a big surprise, but I do have things to keep me busy this year that will give the fans something to bide their time with. So be on the lookout for something from Bruce Springsteen. And tons of documentaries, uh, rock and pop documentaries this year. And on February 5th, uh, Framing Britney Spears will hit on FX. Britney turns 40 this year. Yeah, let that sink in. Um, and she cannot legally manage her own affairs. Since 2008, the year of her infamous um, emotional break, she has been under a conservatorship. And her father, and until recently a lawyer with the perfect name of Andrew Wallet, um, guide every aspect of her life, where she lives, what she does professionally, and of course, her finances, which are substantial. Um, recently, she filed a court motion asking not for the conservatorship to be lifted, but for her father to be taken off of it. And the court refused and extended everything to September. And her father insists he will continue to provide unwavering love and fierce protection against those who seek to harm her or my family. But you gotta wonder. You gotta wonder. Is that all of it, really? Um, and even under her situation, should she have no say in who safeguards her interests? How long will this go on? I am sure that uh, documentary is going to be interesting. We'll have to check that out. This has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com. And there's also a blog at esonetwork.com. And we'll catch you next time. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. Welcome to a geek girl's take. I'm your host Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about the chilling adventures of Sabrina season four. So at the start of 2020, we got news that the chilling adventures of Sabrina was canceled and that there wouldn't be a season four. Well, either Netflix changed their mind or the fans outcry changed their mind because they put together a season four pretty darn quick, which all in all gives the show an ending to like a total ending, which is great to me. I really liked how season four started out. It was the normal monster of the week style with each episode being an eldritch terror that the Fright Club had to figure out how to banish. Towards the end though, this season suffered from what other Sabrina seasons, in my opinion, suffered from. They start off really well and have great pacing, but towards the end, it seems like the writers freak out and are like, oh gosh, we only have two more episodes, and they go really, really fast with finishing up the season. I will say that even with the weird last two episodes the season had, I did love the cameo from the two aunts from the 90s sitcom Sabrina, and that just made me smile. Also, we got a talking Salem, 
And so that made me really, really happy, even though that specific episode was just really, really strange thrown in there. I feel that the Nick and Sabrina getting back together was weird and super forced, which then made the ending feel weird as well. So overall, this season has its ups and downs. I'm just glad we got an ending to the series instead of the cliffhanger that they left us in in season three. So yeah, at least they finished it out for us. So good on you, Netflix. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank everyone for being here. Mr. Mike Bailey, thank you, my friend. Oh, it was a pleasure. Anytime you guys want to talk comics, I'm here. Well, we usually go to you when we talk about <laughs> comics. So it's a good deal. Anything you want to promote or shout out about, sir? Um, as this is coming out, more than likely, I'm going to start rolling on getting all my shows back to regular um rotation got from crisis to crisis which were hip deep in 1996 and i am angry that clark and lois broke up uh which is really apparent on the show and uh, i've got some fun stuff over on the overlook dark night we're going to finish up our look at the jim starlin run of batman uh, we stuff. even have a commentary for one of the greatest episodes of the 60s series ever the bookworm uh mm-hmm. episodes that we uh, that me and my friend andy did so uh, just fun stuff over at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Excellent. And, of course, Mr. Kevin Eldridge. I appreciate the invitation to join you all today, despite my name not being Michael. So it's uh, <laughs> nice to be included. The only reason you're here, dude, is Faulkner didn't know a single thing about the Justice Society. <laughs> if one more Michael knew anything about the JSA... <laughs> I would have been. I'd be immediately ejected. We, we would have I, had an official meeting of the mics. That's right. I know my place. What a um, shout out, sir! Yeah, well, you know where to find me here on the ESO network, and that is on my podcast. is called the Flopcast, and uh, it's just a silly, goofy, geeky, nerdy show here on ESO Network every single week. We're at flopcast.net or, of course, right here on the network. We just finished our our two longest shows of the year normally, our memorial shows. We just uh, devoted two episodes to uh, memorializing everybody from pop culture that we lost over the uh, long, horrifying year of 2020. Uh, never, There's still somehow fun shows we got out of that uh, kind of sad topic. We made it work, but now with that out of the way, it's just on to being silly and goofy for the rest of the year. That's awesome. So listen up. Flopcast is a ton of fun. It's always on my must-listen-to Thing. I'm, I think I'm listener number 98 or something on your podcast. Wow, we're getting up there. Someday we'll oh, have... Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll crack triple digits in our listeners. That's the I, dream. I hope so. I really <laughs> hope so. That's your goal for 2021. Yeah. Please yeah. listen to his podcast, folks. Please. <laughs> and bring a lot of iced coffee with you. Bring coffee. Bring coffee. And Mr. Mike Gordon, thank you as always, my friend. And as always, it's my pleasure. Anything you're going to shout out about tonight, sir? Uh, I do want to give a shout out. You know, last week we talked about uh, some shit we ever ate at uh, various places. And one of the things that was really sad was that a lot of the places that we had really good food at don't exist anymore. And uh, I was really heartened uh, to learn that uh, the one of my favorite places on the planet, the Mai Kai restaurant in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 
is suffering and it too may be on the brink of being lost as well. Um, obviously COVID has had a devastating effect. Um, they also had a water pipe burst in a kitchen uh, causing major, major damage. And uh, they are currently seeking a partner uh, to ensure that the legacy of the Maikai uh, lives on. So uh, fingers crossed they will be able to do that and uh, get a back open uh, once certainly once everything gets back to quote unquote a new normal um but uh yeah they're suffering and they they could be gone so um uh, i i hate to hear that but um i hope for the best so if anybody out there has got like some millions <laughs> that they're just wanting to either throw away or invest in one of like i said the one of my favorite places on the planet uh seek out the thornton family down in fort lauderdale because uh they need some help yeah, you know, I was in Fort Lauderdale with a big group of friends a few years ago, and uh, a contingent of people split off to go to the Maikai, and I'm afraid I was not able to go with them. But I heard the stories, and from everything I've heard, that was, uh, to say the least, quite the experience to uh, go to the Maikai. It it is. Uh, I've been there three times, I think, and four times actually uh, in my life, and uh, <laughs> I I could go there every week if I if I lived down there. That is awesome. I'm glad they're at least making it back, hopefully. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. And like Mike said, it's always great when, you know, you can support, you know, we always say support your local artists, support your local movie theater and musicians, support your local restaurants. Also, Mm -hmm. folks, a lot of these places are owned by mom and pops, not these huge corporations. The chains are going to be fine. Don't worry, you know, and Support anything. them safely, of course. Don't actually of go course. sit in it. Don't sit in a movie theater or oh. in the restaurant. But <laughs> <laughs> Support them, no. but safely, please. But like, you know, a lot of times what we've said, you know, go if, to a movie theater. A lot of them, you know, are keeping the place running. They're selling bags of popcorn, you know, and stuff like that. We, every couple of weeks, we go to the corner movie theater. We have a, what, a movie tavern. And they sell for 20 bucks. This thing, it's like a hefty bag full of freshly popped popcorn. <laughs> wow. And, and it's great. It lasts, a, it lasts at least a week or so. And, you know, <laughs> and you know, and then if we don't eat it, we just use it for shipping. So it's perfect. You know? <laughs> I have filled my closet with junior mints. <laughs> it it, it for does make you material. think, though, if you, can, if you can buy a hefty bag for 20 bucks, why is the small bag eight? <laughs> <laughs> I always do wonder that, you know, I guess it's because we don't get it with the butter. So it's okay. <laughs> it's the butter. <laughs> so it's, but yeah, it's, it's just little ways to sell. And, you know, there are so many great restaurants that you do have curbside pickup or mm-hmm. Uber eats or, you know, one of those companies. So it's pretty darn amazing. And if you can get any way to help them, you know, you know, even if it's once every couple of weeks, you know, I know people don't have a ton of money right now, but, you know, it's just always a great way to help them out and, you know, just help out a small little business. Uh, my shout out. I actually am a little behind, but I actually started watching the TV show Community. And mm-hmm. I've never watched it before. People have been raving about it. And. It's a lot of fun. It is a brainless 30-minute sitcom, well, 24 minutes because there's no commercials. And it's just a ton of fun. I made it through, like, the first season in, like, a weekend. And it was just a lot of fun to see and watch. And it was neat to see characters you know 
to you know that you've seen on Glow or actors you've seen on you know Star Wars. You know, Lando Carissian is in it. You know, mm-hmm. so it's Star Starman is in it. That's true. Yeah, Starman is in it. it. That's very true. <laughs> so yeah, you have all these different people you're like i know that person i know that person and it's just to see where they've some of them got their start and so it's pretty cool and it was just a lot of fun and i highly recommend it i don't know why i waited this long to watch something like this so it's what, what's that on mike it is on netflix oh okay yeah you so you can watch it you know if you have a netflix subscription and i think there's five seasons and the first three seasons are like 25 episodes but after that, I think they dropped down to 15 because I think, you know, they started getting shuffled around and everything. And so and I think, you know, it was interesting. They even, you know, Chevy Chase is almost funny in it. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> he was good. I never thought I would enjoy Chevy Chase in something again, but he was good on that. I mean, for I've heard horror stories that he was not fun to work with, but he was just fine as far as his performance on that show. Yeah, that, that's a that's a solid. It, it's very geek friendly. You know, nerds like oh, us very would, much uh, so. would find a lot to love in community. So definitely worth checking out if you never. Oh, have. it's like. What are they reading the who's who of Dragon Con for this show? It almost seems like. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's pretty awesome that you do. Uh, but it's just a lot of fun. Check it out. It's just a, it's a recommendation. I would definitely highly recommend Community. I just couldn't get into Parks and Rec. Sorry, folks. Oh, love Parks and Rec. So, <laughs> I'll try giving it another shot after I finish Community up. So. Season one's a little slow. Well, that's what they say a lot a lot of shows usually are. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Like when we watched Shit's Creek, it was, you know, yeah. very slow the first season to like yeah. almost like Rock this. and Rec season one, a little slow, absolutely worth it to keep with it. Okay. It's what wonderful. I will check it out then. Awesome. It has a Chicken Town seal of approval, so there you go. You got it. Oh, the mayor of Chicken Town has watched the whole series like three or four times, I think. <laughs> oh wow. Well there you go. <laughs> so I think that is it for this week. I think we're all ready to go read our issues of Justice Society. Join us again next week when ESO Book Club returns once again. And we have a big one, folks. We have one that we've been anticipating for so long. We are going to be talking Ready Player Two. So it should be a lot of fun. And we have, you know... Kirby joining us. We have Van Allen Plexico joining us. So shocking. I know. Is, are, are you shocked there? You know, is he a fan of that series? I, yeah, I was not aware. I was not aware. He's really subtle about it. Too. I know when we, you know, he was like you in the justice society, Kevin, you know, when I said, you know, when I was typing it, he was like, yes, I'll be there. It's like, how did you know? <laughs> I will be there. I don't care when I will be there. So. So, yeah, so we're going to be talking all about Ready Player Two and the ESO Book Club next week. So it should be a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to the Air Station One podcast. We're powered by NSC. You can find them at www.nsclivetv.com. Remember, you can find Air Station One wherever fine podcasts are found, including now Amazon Music. Please subscribe and tell all your friends about us. Yeah, we're not proud. On behalf of myself, Mike Faber, Mr. Mike Gordon, Michael Bailey... Kevin Eldridge, who's not a Michael. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you here next time on Earth Station One. Stay safe, hug your loved ones, peace. And we're done. Boom. See you. (laughs) Oh, great. Now we're going to have that lightning bolt. (laughs) 
<laughs> You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.